turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. 10 away as we get into hour two on this Wednesday, the 18th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2021. We're going to take a break from our what has been thus far three and a half days of nonstop uh, coverage of the Afghanistan fiasco because of the impact it has on national security on America and American lives whether they're here or abroad. We're going to take a break now and go back to local issues, and in particular statewide issues as it pertains to COVID-19. Governor Mike DeWine spoke again yesterday and reiterated that masks, masks, masks are the answer to everything. To all those, he tweeted, who are making decisions right now about our schools, if you are not requiring masks, please think about this again. At the very least, consider requiring masks for the next few weeks when we know the spread level will be very high. You can always go back to not wearing masks when the spread has reduced. With increasing numbers of new COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations, this is the time to take precautions, not the time to take them away. I will hold off on my reaction to those words and ask for that of Jack Windsor instead. Jack Windsor, the founder of the Ohio Press Network and our Statehouse correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer, back with us again. Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. It's always an honor to be here with you and the Bob France Authority listeners. Thank you for choosing me today. The science isn't there. Um, Joe Biden's former top COVID advisor, not named Anthony Fauci, declared on CNN that the cloth masks and the paper masks that people use that are that Mike DeWine is talking about requiring on children who are affected almost to a non-significant statistical number by this, uh, they don't work. They don't work said Joe Biden's top, top, former top COVID advisor, and yet here's Governor Mike DeWine again ignoring the science and saying, mask up your kids. Schools mandated at least for a few weeks. Where have we heard that before? Your reaction, Jack Windsor. 
two weeks to flatten the curve, four to six weeks in a mask, and we'll kick this virus to the ground. Um, we've heard this uh, song before, and we've seen this movie before. And what's really stunning, and look, uh, I don't want to give a ton of opinion, but just talking from a factual vantage point, the Fauci emails are pretty damning for the idea that masks work. He came out uh, last year and said drug store masks don't work. And as you just said, um, now uh, federal officials are saying masks don't work. In Ohio, we had the biggest run-up in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths after the mask mandate when about 95% of people were wearing the masks. Um, and then the CDC even released a study that covered all of 2020 and found masks to be about 1% effective. <laughs> Yet here we are again. And I think the thing that I got a ton of feedback after DeWine and Vanderhoff returned to the podium yesterday, uh, talking about the spike in cases due to the surge of the Delta variant. We'll talk about that in a second. But the, the feedback I keep getting is, look, I don't even want to hear this guy anymore because he stands up and says, look, I'm here to give you the facts. I'm here to tell you the truth. But the reality is he's ignoring the facts that masks are not effective. And he's also now starting to ignore the fact that people who get vaccinated are actually testing positive. There were two reporters that leaned in on him yesterday on this very topic. Uh, the fact that breakthrough cases, cases involving people who've already been vaccinated, um, were not being tracked. So when he talks about a surge in cases, the question is, Governor, how many of those are from people who have already been vaccinated? And you know what he did with that question, those two questions? He basically said, don't ask that question. That's the wrong question. What we need to focus on is getting people vaccinated. So there is obviously a level of distrust in the governor's direction. Jack, I apologize. Jack, 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 hold on. I want you to say that again for effect. I want you to say exactly what that report, that question was and, and what uh, Mike DeWine's response was again. I want everybody to hear this. Yes. So I didn't ask the question. There were two questions. Uh, mm-hmm. From two different reporters during the You're press not allowed conference. to ask questions, right? <laughs> we can talk about that too. No, I'm allowed to participate in the event. I am not allowed to ask questions of the governor on behalf of Ohioans. That is correct. Uh, despite the fact that, that I'm a credentialed member of the press. So yesterday, DeWine was asked twice about breakthrough cases, cases that are positive, coming from people who have already been vaccinated. And at one point, he chuckled, and I can't repeat it verbatim, but said something to the effect of, look, we can talk about breakthrough cases. This is like the second or third question I've taken about it. But the focus needs to be the people who are unvaccinated need to get vaccinated. So he really just kind of ignored the question uh, and said, you know, we may start tracking the number of cases from people who are positive, but that's not the issue. The issue is people aren't vaccinated. How in the world, and I, and thank you, I want to hear it again, and I'm, cause I'm going to post it and everything else that I can. Of course, I run the risk of having my account suspended again. I was suspended by Facebook for three days for posting the video of Dr. Stock in, uh, in Mount Vernon school district, uh, school board meeting in Indiana for the extraordinary amount of information he shared backed up online by all of the studies and the science 
that the CDC claims and that Mark Zuckerberg claims that his fact checkers are supposed to be using. All of that science I posted, they, of course, don't like the fact that somebody actually countered their narrative, so I was suspended for three days. Having said all of that, everything that you just said, I want to post, and I want people to know that the governor is flat-out ignoring the real scientific questions here, which is how many of the new cases you're talking about are, are, are of vaccinated people. Uh, he doesn't want people to ask that question because they don't want to know the answer to that question. Because when they give the answer to that question, Jack Windsor, it's likely to be so much higher than the minuscule 1% of breakthrough cases that they're currently, uh, uh, you know, stating. Absolutely. The emperor at that point would have no clothes. Boom. What's really interesting to me, Bob, is that the governor and Vanderhoff both talked about the Delta variant yesterday uh, at the presser, how contagious it is and such. You know what's interesting? I put in a record request with the Ohio Department of Health 12 days ago asking for the number of logged Delta variant cases in Ohio. Now, if it's surging, and we know that it's surging in Ohio, then that information should not only be readily available, but swiftly supplied, right? Absolutely. According according to the ODH, they, they still haven't been able to put it together. And according to a contact that works with the CDC, uh, it's only the CDC that can classify a case as Delta or any other variant, for that matter, due to the type of testing that has to be done. At one point in July, Ohio had 21 recorded cases of the Delta variant. That number has never, that I've seen, been quoted by DeWine or Vanderhoff, uh, despite what DeWine said yesterday, that he has a responsibility to tell us the facts. Here's what they've also not said. It appears, according to a source working with the CDC, that Ohio hasn't submitted 300 samples Ohio has failed to submit 300 specimens in a four-week period since July 17th. Now, that's important because until that 300 uh, specimen sample is met, they will not be tracked. So Ohio is obligated to send 17 every week and encouraged to send more in an effort to collect the data to monitor, but they're not doing it. So if any state cannot supply a minimum of 300 quality specimens, with my contact at the CDC says, for genome sequencing and variant identification, then there's no choice but to operate under the assumption that the geographical area area is not a concern for the test cycle. So it appears, and I'm waiting on the ODH supply, to supply the information to refute this, but in the absence of that information, it appears that Ohio isn't submitting the proper number of samples to the CDC in order to determine how many Delta cases are here. Instead, Vanderhoff and DeWine appear to be opting and assuming that 80 to 90% of cases in Ohio are driven by the Delta variant, but they're not backing that up with facts. Jack Windsor is our guest. He is the founder and the, uh, what do we call you for the Ohio Press Network besides founder? Managing editor or editor or, I mean, it's yours. It's editor in chief. Yep. Editor in chief. Thank editor-in-chief. you. So the founder and the editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, he also is our State House correspondent for WHK Radio. Jack, um, this is kind of a two-part question. It really is not two parts. Just merge them into one. I want to ask you about Bruce Vanderhoff, the new director of health, and I want to ask it in this context. Brexview uh, Broadview Heights schools to stick with optional masking after hearing from families. The Brexville Broadview Heights School Board has decided that the district's original plan, they will stick with it to make mask wearing optional for pupils and staff, not mandated. There are other schools in Ohio doing this. My question to you is, how many of those, and you don't have to give me an actual number, but do you believe that if more and more schools uh, go with the optional route, 
that Mike DeWine and his new director of the Department of Health, Bruce Vanderhoff, will then go a little bit stiffer and make it mandatory for schools to be in session in person, for them to have masks. Um, and I ask that, of course, because I don't know much about Bruce Vanderhoff. I knew a lot about Amy Acton, the mumbling, bumbling lab coat, who ordered all of the lockdowns and procedures that destroyed the state for a year plus. Uh, but this is a different guy. Uh, do you think that is in the offing? So Governor DeWine, the Ohio Department of Health, which includes Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, the Ohio Department of Education, they are aligned on this idea that kids should be vaccinated and masks should be worn in school. The Ohio Department of Education, according to sources that I've talked with in the last 48 hours, has sent information to school districts around the state encouraging not only vaccination but also masking. So those schools that you are talking just about... Just to, to be clear, by the way, vaccines aren't even available for 12 and under, right? So, I mean, they can't be talking to elementary schools. Right. And so the absence of those vaccines, right, it's, it's we need these kids masked up. Oh, yeah. and never mind the fact that this, uh, this, this was here in, at the end of 2019, right, fall and winter, and then 2020. We're not going into year three, but we're going to ignore that as well. Right. Uh, but the Ohio Department of Education is, is, is encouraging masking and vaccination. So those schools that are bucking the trend, they really are standing up. However, there are some that are not, like in Cleveland, Columbus, Delaware City Schools, for example, uh, announced, I believe, earlier this week that they're going to require masks. I expect that more will reverse course and mandate masks this week. But I do believe that if these school districts stand up, and that's going to be driven by parents, by the way, uh, I believe that it's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on DeWine. And here's why. Vanderhoff is in that position. He still has to be approved by the state Senate. And uh, as they come back in September, I think that's going to be a big bargaining chip as we go into the fall. If the governor wants his guy, uh, then I think he's going to have to concede on some things. And, and maybe this is one of the things that they push back on. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, uh, I, I wasn't aware of that. What, what is your opinion of Vanderhoff from what you've seen thus far? My, you know, it's really hard for me. Um, I what I've heard consistently is words and phrases that are designed to influence more than inform. So when I hear things like uh, the vaccine is completely effective and safe, I scratch my head because I've talked to. Uh, families that have kids in the hospital and are forever changed after taking the vaccine. And I'm not, I'm not against vaccines, by the way. I'm for uh, full disclosure of information. I mean, that's just good bioethics. Uh, and, and then I hear things yesterday, for example, when he talked about the Delta variant. He said, you know, we can assume that we are at this 80 to 90 percent. Well, okay, why don't you tell Ohioans why you're assuming? You're assuming because it appears, based on my source, we're not submitting the number of samples that would really tell us how many Delta variant cases are here in Ohio. And so in, in the absence of that, we're just going to beat the drum of 80 to 90 percent and use that to, to scare people and use phrases like sicker, quicker. Right. Um, so my so in other words, he is no more committed to transparency than his predecessors. It appears that's my that is my opinion. Um, that's not necessarily newsworthy. But, yes, that is absolutely my opinion. He is um, continuing to send the company message and uh the company is, uh, you know, uh, Big Pharma, right? Uh, it, I, to me, what I've seen the last 18 months, public health is about uh, Big Pharma. I've heard very little about how to uh, get healthy if you have health issues and stay healthy without some sort of pharmacological intervention. That's not public health to me. 
Jack, uh, one more piece of good news. I, I just kind of gave the Brexville Broadview Heights schools, and I want to give the Knox County Sheriff's now. You posted this yesterday. The Knox County Sheriff's Office has informed uh, the mayor of, um, um, I don't know what the what the county seat is in Knox County. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, mayor Kessler, yep. that deputies, his deputies will not be enforcing the ongoing mask ordinance in that county or in that city. Uh, a quote, I've spoken with Mayor Kessler and informed him that the deputies will not be citing anyone for violations. We will not put deputies in that situation. We have not enforced mask mandates in the past, and we will not enforce this mandate going forward. So, uh, again, another good sign. I, I don't know if there are more uh, sheriffs and more law enforcement or and, and others who are in the, in the mix here committed to that but uh, that's a good sign it is a good sign and uh you know it appears that uh, the mayor of gambier and uh the village council those folks did not check with the sheriff's office uh before listing the knox county sheriff as the enforcing body you know all i'll say about that is this dating back to the magna carta and up through the declaration of independence bill of rights constitution you know you see a pattern of officials denying to enforce edicts rules ordinances laws taxes etc that they deem inappropriate. Um, and just imagine where the civil rights movement would have been without resistance. Uh, otherwise, ill-advised moves of the mob or the politically motivated would never be stopped. Uh, and, you know, officials, Bob, have a moral obligation to do the right thing. And it doesn't take much research. We've already talked about it with the uh, issue of masks. Um, masks are a political symbol. Thus, refusing to wear a mask, in my opinion, is political speech protected under the First Amendment right to free speech. I completely agree. And as a uh, the Ohio director of uh, the Ohio chapter of uh, Citizens for Free Speech, that is a message we make every single day. We continue to to advance that because it is exactly that a violation of our First Amendment rights. Jack, it's ten twenty four. I need a quick time out here, and then I want to come back and I want you to remind everybody about these Senate debates that are coming up, uh, sponsored by the Ohio Press Network. Can you hang for a sec? Absolutely. Ten twenty four. Right back after this. Took his ring, took his Okay, 1027, I've got three minutes left here, and I want to use that with Jack Windsor to talk about some very important events coming up, four of them to be precise, uh, precise, spread around four different regions of Ohio, Senate candidate debate forums. Uh, it's a big, crowded Republican primary field, Jack Windsor. We told people about this a week ago. Let's tell them again. Yes, so the Ohio GOP Senate forums, we have one scheduled for October 14th in Versailles, Ohio, at the Versailles Performing Arts Center. Uh, I will be moderating that with Maurice Thompson. And then, Bob, we have one scheduled for October 28th, two weeks later, in Strongsville. You and I will be moderating that, and that will be at the uh, Strongsville Recreation Center at 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, we have invited uh, Mark Pukita, J.D. Vance, Bernie Moreno, Jane Timken, Mike Gibbons, Josh Mandel, and have had a good reception. The goal is to get answers to the questions all conservatives in Ohio want asked of the Ohio GOP Senate candidates. And if you go to all the W's, the Ohio Press Network dot eventbrite.com, uh, I'll have to give you a note that will be up later this week. You can register. Pre-registration will be required. 
Yeah, because, of course, we want to make sure people who are there are interested in helping to select the right next senator not to cause trouble or, uh, or, or you know, uh, cause upheaval in this great event. And, Jack, I, I just love the fact that you're committing so much time and so many resources to this. Four different events. We're glad that Northeast Ohio is one of them. Of course, it really has to be. We're glad that Shannon Burns and the Strongsville GOP are helping to coordinate this. And I will tell you, I'm honored to be able to co-moderate that debate with you. I will have some very good questions ready for these candidates. And you're right. These are things my listeners ask me every day. I'm sure your readers ask you all the time, too. And this is it's going to be a tough choice for a lot of people. I think there's some very good people in this race. Uh, some I like more than others, but I would be, will be 100 percent fair to everybody. And and this is, I think, what we really need in order to make sure that we replace Rob Portman with somebody who's a true conservative. Yes, I would agree. And, you know, the fun part will be a lot of the talk up to this point has been about are you pro-Trump or are you, uh, you know, against the, the president, the former president. And so now it's a great opportunity to really understand where all these folks stand on important policy issues facing our nation in the great state of Ohio. And they'll get a chance to tell prospective voters what they think and what they intend to do if they uh, win that chair. Jack Windsor, uh, I look forward to that obviously coming uh, coming up in October. There will be a lot of news made in this Senate race between now and then, and of course we will check back in with you next week to talk about those things as well. Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network, we appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. It's always an honor to talk to you soon, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. 1030. News time now. On the other side of the news, we're going to come back and go back to Afghanistan because we're concerned about Americans. People need to understand that. This is still an America-first issue. What's going on in Afghanistan affects Americans, not just troops, but civilians, contractors, diplomats, and others. And that's coming up on AM 1420. Two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, 1035. Would you continue? Thanks again to uh, Jack Windsor. Terrific stuff last half hour. Thanks to our guest uh, and our number one former Army Ranger who served in Operation Enduring Freedom. Uh, with thoughts on the disaster that is the unfolding evacuation of Americans from Kabul and from Afghanistan as a nation. Joining us now to discuss the latest on this complete chaos is a Bright, House, uh, Bright House News White House. Bright House. I did it twice now. Breitbart News White House. I can do that, I swear. Breitbart News White House correspondent Charlie Spearing uh, with analysis. Uh, good morning, Charlie. How are you, sir? Great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this is, you know, this is the number one story in America, and it's it's thousands of miles away. Uh, it is involving a very relatively few number of Americans. But is there anything more important than this, Charlie? Right now, when it appears that those Americans, few as they are, relatively speaking, to the 330 million people in this country, are being abandoned on almost direct command from the White House, who said that. We'll fly out if you can get to the airport, but we can't guarantee you'll get to the airport. You are on your own. Is that not abandonment of these people? Yeah, absolutely, Bob, and it's so funny. Uh, I was telling uh, some of my colleagues this morning, 
looking at the president's schedule today, the only thing he has is meetings on the coronavirus pandemic, and then he's going to deliver remarks later this afternoon about the pandemic. And I, I said it's, it's pretty, pretty shocking when you pivot back to the pandemic because the news in Afghanistan is so bad. You're trying to walk away from it. And that's really what we see the Biden administration doing today. You know, I read uh, a comment from another reporter, I can't recall who it was, who said, you know, the the Biden administration wants everyone who is on the ground in Afghanistan right now trying to evacuate and save their lives to know that the talks on infrastructure are going really well. <laughs> right? I mean, because that's yeah. what you're talking about here. They're going to they're gonna focus on everything and anything but Afghanistan because there are Americans who are going to die there because they can't make it through Taliban checkpoints to get to the airport in order to find a way onto one of the cargo planes to get them out of there. Not, not to mention, of course, thousands of Afghans who uh, served alongside our, you know, our troops and our, and our diplomats and our contractors and so forth in support roles as translators and other things who are going to face certain death at the hands of the Taliban if they're not able to find a, a passage to safety. Yeah, it's it's really bad, and certainly the president has been sort of hopping around trying to keep his vac- August vacation intact. In we did a story earlier today or last night about how he's taking he's taken nine different trips on Marine One in just the past eighteen days. Just you know, returning to Washington, returning to Delaware, returning to to uh, Camp David. Um, and how can how can you demonstrate leadership when you're doing constantly doing this this hopping around, trying to trying to keep your vacation intact, and trying to ignore all chances to address and to show serious leadership on this issue? Yeah, he's going to do an interview with George Stephanopoulos <laughs> sometime today, but that's really the only thing we've heard since his really disastrous speech on Monday. Well, not only was it a disastrous speech, Charlie, but obviously the biggest disaster was that he marched away from that podium without taking one question from what has suddenly become a critical press. Rather than asking him his favorite ice cream flavor this time, he was going to get questioned about this disastrous, uh, you know, uh, event, uh, this, uh, this, you know, this evacuation of all of the troops before the, uh, the embassy was emptied, uh, and before everybody could find their way to safe haven. Um, you know, CNN is coming for him. The New York Times is coming for him. MSNBC and NBC have come for him and his State Department. Suddenly, the press has remembered what journalism is here, so he ran from it. Yeah, it's really, really grim. And usually when you're, you're dealing with the chaos, you want to get out. And it, it's so funny. I was talking to someone else this morning. It's, it's remarkable the change from when we had President Donald Trump, who was constantly communicating, instant communication on Twitter, on social media. He was always giving press conferences in big situations and really just coming out and demonstrating this kind of leadership. But it's the, the complete opposite. I spend most of my time writing about what Biden isn't doing and what, and then what he is doing. And that should never be the case in, in, a, in a crisis. That you should always have somebody there to answer the questions, to reassure Americans that work is getting done. Um, get the facts, share them as quickly as possible, reassure Americans that you have, that you have leadership. But there's really not that much going on. Yesterday there was a press briefing with Jen Psaki and and Biden's advisor, Jake Sullivan, and, and they couldn't even commit to keeping troops on the ground until every American was evacuated. And it just shows you how nervous they are. They know that it's a really bad situation, and they, 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 know, they know there's very little that can be done about it. 
Uh, we are talking with Charlie Spearing. He is the White House uh, 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 correspondent for Breitbart News. The um, you know the president talking to J- George Stephanopoulos is one thing. One thing you reported yesterday, he hasn't talked to anybody else. He has not talked to any other world leaders since the Taliban seized Kabul. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that was shocking. That news was shocking, and it's clear that Biden is, number one, super stubborn about his decision. And two, wow, just just before this all went down, he was promoting the summit of democracy to show people how competent democracy was and how it's the the choice for the world going forward. And he's talked about that a lot in his speeches, but when he gets the first chance to demonstrate that, he has zero conversations with top allies in the region who have, who have really done so much to help us out in Afghanistan. Uh, for him to just ignore that or ignore any sort of um, global engagement on this issue, it's, it's stunning. This is, this is the president that said America was back and was going to show the world that, that, that democracies could win again. Um, wow, what a, what a shocking turnaround. Charlie, um, you know, you, you wrote on this, too, as a lot of other people did, that um, in Biden's speech, he, he declared that, yes, this did happen. The collapse of, of, of Kabul and Afghanistan and the security forces happened more quickly than he expected. But, he said, that's why we planned for every contingency. Does it look like he planned for the contingency of Americans not being given safe passage to the airport to get out of there? Because right now, there are people being beaten on their way to the airport. One woman was killed, apparently, for not having her burqa or hijab on or something like that, also on the way to the airport. And again, that statement was delivered by the White House. We cannot guarantee your safety. Does that sound like they planned for that contingency? No, certainly not. And that claim is is laughable. Reporters in the room were understandably shocked that they that. You know, Sullivan said that, but it's absolutely impossible. It's absolutely not true. And that is just one of the biggest lies coming from the Biden administration. Uh, And what's also interesting is that you have some of these deep state intelligence agencies dribbling out little nuggets of news. The New York Times and the Wall Street Journal this morning saying, you know, Biden, because the White House is saying, you know, we just didn't know. We didn't have enough intelligence suggesting that this would happen. And now the deep state is responding by, you know, dribbling out these news tidbits that, yes, they, Joe Biden absolutely knew, certainly by July, that this could be a major, major problem. And he chose to ignore it because he was very adamant about ending this this nation-building exercise that he embarked on back when he was vice president, back when he was a senator. He supported the idea. He totally believed the, the ability of, of the United States to nation-build And he just had had enough. And, you know, everything, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. And that's certainly what he he did. And now he's unwilling to even um, answer the basic questions that Americans have about the failed, just the absolutely botched attempt. Um, Charlie Spearing, you know, serious reporters generally don't engage in speculation. You report facts as you know them. But I'm going to ask you to do some modified speculation here on 
Joe Biden's job security, and and it's with this with this backdrop. Um, two of the the loudest voices that I heard in the last three days. One came from a news anchor in Britain on Sky News, who said he has absolutely no confidence whatsoever in uh, in Joe Biden's ability to lead the United States. And you may say, who cares what some British news anchor thinks? But the other one was Ryan Crocker, as you know, ambassador to Afghanistan under Barack Obama. He said, quote, I'm left with some grave questions in my mind about Biden's ability to lead our nation as commander in chief. He then said either he presided over this disastrous withdrawal before the embassy was emptied uh, um, because he was too incompetent to know better or he knew what would happen and just didn't care. Either way. Now, this is somebody who served, excuse me, in the Obama-Biden administration as ambassador to Afghanistan. Those those are some pretty strong comments here, and I wonder if this isn't going to lead to something much bigger as it pertains to Joe Biden's ability to, to continue his, his, his term. Yeah, I, I, if you, speculating, I'd say that, that it, it's the latter, because I think that Crocker, under, you know, he worked with Biden when Biden was vice president, and Biden made it very clear every time the subject was brought up, Biden made it very clear that he did, he did not support this this mission in Afghanistan anymore and wanted American troops out. And I really think that his goal, his fundamental goal is to make that happen. Now, look, if you're in a country for 20 years and you've spent that much American blood and American treasure, and you have all these, all this equipment, military equipment and weapons out there, it would take a little bit of careful planning and consideration how to do that properly. Um, to just rip that off and, and allow it, the Afghanistan to completely collapse right in the face of things. That's why his speech, when he said, you know, the buck stops with me, really rang hollow because there was a lot of blame that he was casting all over the place, including former President Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and including the Afghani fighters. Um, you know, they had... I, I was talking with a, with an Army Ranger who served two tours in Afghanistan, and he was just livid about uh, Joe Biden saying that the nation fell to the Taliban so quickly because the Afghans did not want to fight. He pointed out that between 2014 and 2020, just in that six-year period of this 20-year war, over 45,000 Afghans were killed, uh, either Afghan soldiers or police uh, 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 officers were killed trying to defend that nation against the Taliban. So the idea that these people just gave up, and that's why it's okay uh, for Biden, you know, to do what he is doing, is 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 beyond insulting. Um, it is it is a mischaracterization of the reality here. There were people there willing to fight if they just had a little bit of help. Yeah, and I think that you know, even if you have concerns about whether or not the Afghan army and government are you know equipped to take on the Taliban, at the bare minimum, you you plan for a, a strategic withdrawal that at least takes care of American American troops, that takes care of American citizens, and also you know the the Afghani's that assisted us in the twenty years that we were there. Um, it, for the the entire administration to sort of miss that key operation moment, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, naively believing that somehow everything would just work, um, just absolutely fall into place, just really demonstrates the naivety. And and it it also 
demonstrates what we had before President Donald Trump. This is the sort of constant, the military elite. This is President Biden, who has been in Washington for decades. He's the one that supposedly had so much uh, governing experience, he would take us back to normal. But but it just goes to show you that, yeah, you you might have struggled to understand why Trump was doing what he was doing and how it was different, how it was shaking up. The, the the status quo, but Biden only demonstrates how bad the status quo used to be and how bad it will continue to be if we continue to trust these long-standing elites that have been in power way too long. Last two quick ones for you, Charlie Spearing of Breitbart News, White House correspondent. Um, how dangerous is the release of the 5,000 or so uh, supposedly high-value Af- uh, uh, al-Qaeda detainees from Bagram Air Base uh, given the fact that our southern border is is porous, is wide open, and we have confirmed that over 150 countries are represented in those who have crossed our border illegally and are giving uh, safe passage into uh, American cities, flown, bus rides, or wherever to wherever they want to go. They're not just coming from the Central American Northern Triangle of countries. They're coming from all over the world. How, how, how soon before it's al-Qaeda fighters and Taliban fighters who are making their way into this country? Yeah, I, I can imagine that we'll see that, and we've already seen it at the border. The, earlier this year, there was reports of that, of that, of people who were coming from the Middle East across the southern border. Obviously, it's a long journey, but I think the, the sign that the, there is an open border you know, open by the Biden administration certainly opens the opportunity for for more you know, terrorists to, again, start pursuing that as a way to get into the country. But there's also legal ways they can get into the country, too, including, you know, the, the tens of thousands Afghani re- refugees that we're bringing in the country after we've left. And, and there's certainly going to be a, another flood of, of people from this region into our country who may either harbor some sort of ill will towards the United States because of what happened in Afghanistan or certainly what happened against the, you know, the Muslim community there. It's it's very likely that we're going to see terrorism strike, you know, the United States again. And what a shocking what a shocking reversal from the Biden administration's first priority as they came into office was, you know, the biggest terrorist threat right now is from is from white supremacists and extremists within our country. (laughs) And and (laughs) with zero or little talk about, you know, the situation in Afghanistan, the Taliban, the resurgent Islamic radical radical Islamic terror now that's about to pick up, especially after they've gained such a major propaganda victory. You know, militant Islam is back in the Middle East for the first time in a long time, and we're only going to see it increase. Yeah, and I chuckle out of bewilderment, not out of actual comedy, because you're right, it's it's mystifying how they can claim that's the biggest threat, uh, rather than the radical Islamic terrorism, which is clearly about to rise again. Last thing before you go, Charlie, um, if any of those Americans who have been abandoned by, by President Biden, who have been told, get to, the air, get to the airport and we can get you home, but it's up to you to get to the airport, you have to get by the Taliban checkpoints, you have to get by those who, who, who wish to kill you and wish to perhaps kidnap Americans. If that happens, if Americans are kidnapped, captured, whatever you want to call it, or killed, and it's provable by the Taliban as they tried to escape that country, 
Um, what does that do to the entire agreement? Do we go back in? Does Biden say, well, that's unacceptable and go back in? Or uh, does he just kind of shrug his shoulders and uh, what would be the political fallout? Yeah, let's hope that the Biden White House is sort of planning for this instead of just, uh, you know, assuming that the Taliban's just going to just going to make it easy because it's not going to be easy and it they should absolutely have a contingency plan in place already and you know up until now that's been the big thing right there's so far no americans that we know of have been captured killed held hostage or imprisoned by the taliban because of their because of where they're you know because of their country of origin now this is if if that happens, then we're looking at something worse than Benghazi. Is this something that is this something where the Biden administration will just stand by and let it happen and express regret? And that could certainly be what happens. But right now, they better have a plan in place for when if and when that occurs, they have a plan to strike back and strike back hard militarily and then get Americans out of the country. Charlie Spearing, White House correspondent for Breitbart News, uh, laying it out for us, the latest on the Afghanistan debacle uh, that is 100% owned by Joe Biden. Uh, Well, in reality, not according to him, of course. Uh, Charlie, thank you for the information and the update. We certainly appreciate it, sir. You bet. Anytime. All right. Charlie Spearing uh, joining us from Breitbart. We'll take our final time out and come back with our final segment on AM 1420 DNC. Okay, 1057, only time for a call or two here to wrap it up. We'll go to uh, Richfield. Derek, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hey, morning, Bob. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask about another um, negative consequence of the Taliban regaining control of Afghanistan. And that's, you know, it's known that, you know, the the opium poppies, you know, are grown largely in Afghanistan. Um, Do we know uh, how is that going to be affected the the opium cultivation, uh, you know, from you know, what's happening now. How is it going to be effective? Uh, affected. I mean, are they going oh, to, affected. under the Taliban, yeah, are they going to, you know, increase their, you know, their cultivation, their growth, or are they going to, you know, cut it back that I'm not just curious about? You know, yeah, it's a good question, one that I don't really have an answer for. I'm not terribly familiar with, you know, how uh, the production, the, the growth of the, opi- the opium and the production of, of the opioids that uh, they shipped all around the world. I don't know how it has changed under, uh, you know, from when the Taliban had control before to what it's been in the last 20 years or not. I don't know if that's a significant source of their income. Are they major drug exporters, opi- opioid exporters uh, because of the massive opium fields that they have there, poppy fields that they have there. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it's another it's another fair question to ask. It's another, and thank you for the call, uh, it's another side effect, if you will, of you know a policy that is very much questionable right now. You know, and that policy is, you know, giving back the ground to the terrorist organization that you took it from in, in November of 2001 as a way of defending American lives. I still think we have to defend American lives, and I know there's not a lot of people who agree that the best way to do that is to be there to nip them in the bud rather than sit here and wait for them to attack again and then go back in all over again. That's all the time that I have. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the great discussions. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.